365 Sports, the YouTube channel. Please hit like and subscribe if you're joining us and you haven't done that previously. Uh, we do appreciate uh, your support, and that's one way of showing it. But I'm Craig Smoke, as always, joined by Grayson Grunhafer. Got Jack McKenzie and Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well, making things happening and making us look good, which is not an easy task. And we are here this week to talk, uh, well, as always, all things Baylor athletics, but with a focus primarily on the NFL draft. Now that that's come and gone, uh, one player directly affected and a few others getting opportunities coming out of the NFL draft festivities over Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I've also got uh, a little... I guess note on the XFL and a little Baylor flavor there with one player who will be playing for a championship and then spring sports kind of uh, ebbing and flowing as they start to wind down into the final stretch here uh, as May gets underway. But I hope you're having a good week so far. We do appreciate you listening whenever you do, however you do. And uh, Grayson, how are we doing this week? I'm doing good. And I mean, I was actually at the draft. um, Oh, that's right. Yeah. On uh, Thursday. I didn't get to see any Baylor names called, but um, it was a fun experience. So kind of coming back from that um, and just seeing how the draft unfolded, seeing Apu get drafted was obviously uh, really cool um, on TV. And, you know, it wasn't the greatest draft class, which, you know, Baylor hasn't had great draft classes really for a while outside of last year. You know, they're 2021 um, that season. They had a great draft class. But outside of that, it's kind of been very hit or miss, it feels like, for these Baylor prospects, which I know we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But um, outside of that, you know, the Baylor roster is kind of taking shape now. Uh, we kind of know what they're going to look like going uh, forward into the fall. Um, and outside of that, you know, it's just been a busy week with recruiting, honestly. Uh, Baylor continuing to to look around there, try to find some prospects. And obviously the uh, coaches are on the road right now. Um, so a lot of movement there. So what uh, brought you to the NFL draft for one night? Uh, just a trip with friends. Um, they wanted to go. We each had, each of our four teams had a pick in the first round. I'm a Colts fan, uh, for those who don't know. So Anthony Richardson, obviously that was a very cool experience there. And we just wanted to go. Um, and it was crazy. 160,000 people, uh, went to the draft in Kansas city or I'm sorry, it got up to like 320,000, which is second most all time behind the one in Nashville that had, I think it was over 600,000, which I, I was there. Can't yeah. E- yeah, I can't even imagine what that looked like. Um, but it was a very unique experience and something I, I definitely won't forget. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's cool. Uh, I haven't been able to experience from the just running around in the ma- in the fans and drinking beer and mm-hmm. you know doing that whole thing. It was more work related, which right. um, you know that can be fun. But you want to be able to experience the other side too and just enjoy it sometimes. So I think we probably had slightly different experiences, <laughs> but um, no, it's it's a cool deal to go to regardless and. Um, are you feeling okay about Anthony Richardson at four overall? Yeah, actually, you know, I got to the draft and honestly, when you're there, you talk to so many people who have different opinions and so many Colts fans. And honestly, the resounding theme, including me was just not Will Levis, just please not Will Levis. That's all we were saying. And so CJ Stroud gets taken at two, which was the guy who I kind of wanted. Um, but to be honest, he was more the guy I wanted because of his floor, Richardson, though, I mean, the just how exciting it is to see someone that talented, you know, go to the Colts is really cool. I get to pair him with Jonathan Taylor in the run game. And so, yeah, I, I'm excited for it. They had a great draft. Everyone continues to talk about them, which kind of makes me a little concerned, though, because a lot of times uh, that doesn't turn out too well. But I personally am intrigued by it. They got a lot of guys that I really wanted them to get in the draft, uh, including Anthony Richardson. So pretty cool. Yeah, we'll see. Um, There's a lot of split takes on his future and how that works out. So, you know, that'll that'll be seen over time. But it's much like a recruiting class. Uh, When you sign it, they're all great, and you love them all, and they're all going to be the next (laughs) big thing. And then, you know, it depends on – how much you talk about them after that, uh, you know, depending on what they do. But I saw a stat, um, gosh, I forget what team it was, just the other day. It was like the end of last week of, I think it might have been Oregon. Uh, their class from like a year or two ago is already over halfway gone. Oh my gosh. And it was like, you know, but it was a, it was like a top 10 celebrated class, mm-hmm. but it was less than two years later and half the guys are gone. Or like A&M's class from a year ago is the all-time greatest class. Half of them are gone already. So it's just, that's how the draft is, though. You celebrate it and you have no idea whether it's going to be any good or not. But at the right. time, it's awesome. So 
um, yeah, cool. You got to experience that. And uh, for those that have been out to the draft, it's it's a pretty cool deal um, as it uh, continues to make its way around the country. Eventually, uh, maybe more of you will get to go if you get the opportunity. I, I suggest uh, doing so. But for Baylor fans watching the draft, uh, in general, didn't have a certain team of the 32 to, to really pull for. Uh, there wasn't much to to keep track of or to watch or anything along those lines. A very quiet draft in comparison to last year. Last year was record-breaking. We've had a lot of that here lately of, you know, it's not quite as good because it's also being compared to what, like, the best version of it ever was. So whether it was, like, the last couple teams or, I guess, last year's team compared to the year prior or this year's draft compared to the year prior or accolades compared to the year prior, like, everything's taken a step down versus – the greatest year they ever had in every way imaginable. So that's been, uh, I think, a tough adjustment for some people after riding the high of last year. Uh, and that was certainly the case with this draft. You know, six guys picked last year and just one this year. Siaki Ika ends up going in round number three, uh, the 98th overall pick to the Cleveland Browns. And uh, always was viewed uh, after the initial wave, like, for example, I saw a mock draft last night and just going back over some notes, Connor Galvin was listed as a first-round draft pick. And they've already got mock drafts out for next year. And, I, and yeah. I think that's what made me look back at it was just like how foolish those are and how off – I mean, other than like, okay, yeah, Caleb Williams is going to be the number one overall pick. But beyond that, like who really the heck knows? So There's so much that goes into it that people yeah. – I you can't guess it specifically for like a guy like Connor Galvin, especially right. a guy who covered his recruitment. Like he's not the most athletic guy. So you throw him in a, in a combine doesn't go great. You have to add in the interview process, the, you know, when people see your frame, all of that just comes into play. And it's really hard to just predict that, you know? Yeah. I mean, beyond the Georgia, Alabama, Ohio state guys right. or Bijan or whoever that are kind of duh um, mm-hmm. picks, but yeah, I mean, Connor Galvin was listed as a first round pick in a mock draft last year. He ends up going undrafted. My point being Siaki Ika was listed as a first rounder in a few mock drafts that I saw around this time last year. Uh, and that kind of moved after the season to more of a second-round type of pick. And then, lo and behold, finally get the draft time. And it was a pretty quiet draft process for him. Like, no all-star games. Uh, he worked out at the Combine and Pro Day, but it was just kind of quiet. And sure enough, uh, he goes at the end of round number three. And it got dangerously close to the point where you could have turned off the TV at the end of Friday night, the end of round three, and he was still sitting out there. Um, mm-hmm. But luckily... A couple picks before uh, they end the festivities on day number two, he does in fact go and he goes to the Cleveland Browns. And my initial reaction was just like, oh, thank God, like I can finally stop paying such close attention to this and just kind of enjoy it from here on out. Um, but also, why Cleveland? Why is it always Cleveland for Baylor players? I mean, you love the opportunity, but it's always Cleveland, it seems like. I would think they'd be sick of it at this point. Um, but, you know, I know certainly Baylor fans are kind of sick of, like, Cleveland again? Josh Gordon and Spencer Drango and Phil Taylor and what Andrew Billings is a Brown, and it just seems like uh, Corey Coleman was a Brown for a little while. It's like you can't get away from them, but maybe this is the, the pick that changes all those things. Siaki Ika, third round, 98th overall. He's a Cleveland Brown. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, again, another Brown situation, but for – Apu specifically, he had to go to a place that really valued uh, potentially playing a 3-4, but also just valued his size, right, as a potential nose tackle. He's going to have to play some defensive tackle at the pro level, but uh, in general, you're going to want to utilize him in the interior of the defensive line. And so, I, you know, I wish he had gone earlier, obviously. I wish he had gone to another place. Um, but, you know, there are some at least exciting things about the Browns right now. You know, Deshaun Watson may be better uh, in his second year back. Um, But, yeah, I mean, in general, I'm fine with it. You're either going to make it or you're not, honestly, in the NFL. And I think Apu's one of those guys that can absolutely make it. He's shown a lot of flashes uh, during his time at Baylor. And if he's put in the right situation, uh, at least on the field, uh, then I think he can do absolutely great in the NFL, you know, or at least very good and, and fill a role in the NFL at least. Yeah, I mean, he, he should be able to. Uh, I think that if he gets all his ducks in a row and has the right focus and doesn't get, you know, fat and happy off of just, you know, making it like a lot of guys can, it's like they get there and they forget like, oh, no, now you got to stick around. Right. Uh, I think so long as he maintains that focus and that, that drive and that hunger, he's a newborn 
Uh, he's the father to a newborn. Um, I know that's a big part of his life now, and, and this is a big dream of his come true. So, yeah, I'm happy for him. It's just like it's always the Browns, though. It's what it seems like. It's yeah. always some Cleveland connection. But hopefully this one, like I said, works out well. And there are some aspects of that franchise that are – you know, at least moving in what looks like a positive direction or an exciting direction. So we'll see if he can't be a part of that in some way. I listened to their GM and their head coach, the press conference afterward, uh, and they said that he's a guy that uh, they basically told that you're not a dump truck anymore, you're a Ferrari. Yeah, Um Whatever that means. I, I think it means that at Baylor he was used as basically like the big bully nose tackle and the big, you know, run stopper. Mm-hmm. And I think they feel like he can be a bit more versatile than that at the next level. It's kind of how I took it. Um, or they want him to be that way at the next level. Um, that's that's how I took it. Maybe it's more of like his motor running or something like mm-hmm. that. I don't know. Uh, but that's what they said was, you know, less of a dump truck, more of a Ferrari. Uh, so that could mean anything. Um, and, you know, said that he's a versatile player more so than he showed in college because, again, they were designing him to have to play a certain way, and Cleveland feels like he can do maybe a bit more than he showed. Um, and there were some things like that, really. His personality won him over. Um, so they seem pleased to have, have gotten him, and I'm excited for him. Uh, but, yeah, third round, 98 overall, and that was the draft summary for the <laughs> Baylor Bears. That was it. Um, no Connor Galvin, no Mark Milton, uh, no Ben Sims. Uh, we'll get to all those guys because there was eventually news on them, but that was it. So six the year prior was the record, one this year. And uh, does that mean anything to you one way or the other? I know it was disappointing for people because you'd love to have more guys to follow or track or anything, but this was kind of the expectation we were sort of building up for as well. So any thoughts just on, in general on having the one pick? Does that mean anything? Does it look a certain way? How do you feel about that? I mean, it definitely shows a reason why they went 6-7 and seven last year. That I shows mean, some of it, yep. It, it absolutely does. I mean, it, when you have talent, guys get drafted. We saw TCU lead the conference in draft picks. Well, I'm sorry, they didn't lead the conference, but they led the new Big 12 in draft picks. I think they might – did they have more than Texas and Oklahoma? What? TCU, they had more draft picks than oh, those yeah. two. Yeah, they did. Yeah, right? they had okay. easily. Yeah, yeah, they had eight to like five apiece. Yeah, so th- I mean, there's a reason they won the conference, right? And so I, I think that stood out to me uh, for sure. And we saw their names continue to get taken off the board. And so uh, I just think it signifies, hey, this was a six-win team last year, and if they're going to be better than that this year, they need more guys to be drafted um, because. If they do have more guys drafted, it just simply means they're a lot better. Um, but in general, you know, that stood out. I think the fact that the Big 12 was fourth in draft picks um, stood out. It's something that needs to be corrected and fixed. And, I mean, that's the Big 12, including Oklahoma and Texas as well. So you get rid of those teams, you know, maybe add in the, the other schools, if see you, where we would be at. If you, I mean, at least as this year goes, they had the most first-rounders they've had in since Nebraska and A&M and Colorado and Missouri were in the conference. Uh, so that was actually – they had six first-rounders. They had a combined – you want to guess how many in the last two years they've had? One. Zero. Zero. Zero mm. first-rounders the last two years. They had six. This time around, and only Bijan and then I think Oklahoma with the offensive lineman Harrison, um, Harrison uh, had two of the f- six. Yeah. But then if you take them out, they had five apiece. The other four, uh, well, three of the four, UCF had nobody. That's got to change. But everybody else combined for ten. So there was no difference. There was no difference. You, you had two extra teams, even though one did nothing. But those three – Combined for the for same. The, to yeah. get them to 30 again. So and they, the ACC, quite frankly, the Big 12 was more of like third. And then by the end of it, like this, the seventh round was over with. The mm-hmm. ACC had passed them. I don't know at what point they passed them. But the Big 12 was sitting there looking pretty good early on. And then, like, this was actually one of the better drafts they've had in a while. But, right. But it. But I guess... What I'm, I guess, where I'm going at is, yeah, it'd be fine that you're right around the ACC, but you're not even close to the Big Ten or the SEC. Well, that's never going to happen, right? But Ever. It, but it's going to separate even more. Yeah, um, that's because that's where gonna, it's all going, right? Yeah. And so that's a bit of an issue. I mean, it's a bit of a red flag. Yeah, thirty, that's good, but the SEC, when they add Texas and Oklahoma, would have been over seventy. Uh, the Big Ten adding USC and UCLA probably would have pushed them high sixties if you add those schools or somewhere in the sixties. So yeah, I just that was something that also stood out to me. Obviously, it's good that they're right there with the ACC. That's where they really need to be at this point. 
Um, but it just did stand out how that disparity seems to continue to widen and widen and widen. And with expansion, it's going to get even more, uh, you know, different. And so for Baylor, I think Baylor needs to continue to groom and develop uh, draft picks, but the Big 12 in general needs to do that as well. Uh, continue to develop and get guys into the NFL because at the end of the day, uh, that does signify talent. And that does tell you a lot of things that do happen on the field on Saturdays. Uh, it does, but I, I hate to break it to people. That's only going to get worse um, now. Uh, it's it's the way it's going. I mean, the Big Ten's now going to have two more teams, and a good you know portion of what the Pac-12 has been able to rely on is coming from one of those teams. Uh, the SEC, who's already like King S when it comes to draft picks the last several years. Um, they actually got, you know, a little bit of competition from the Big Ten, but they're about that Oklahoma and Texas. That's another 10 picks from this last year's draft. Now, granted, those teams haven't been putting up 10 picks every year combined, but uh, close to it, uh, if not passing it. So, I mean, it also helps when you're comparing 16 teams to 12 and you're comparing 14 to 10. I mean, not that those extra four are all putting out five apiece, uh, you're never going to really close that gap just because Alabama and Georgia, and then you add in Tennessee having a big year and LSU, and I mean it's just it's just a bunch of schools with a bunch of NFL guys. You're just never going to close that gap at this point. It's impossible uh, unless like five teams all at once miraculously have the greatest classes they've ever had, and that's just hard to imagine how that would happen. So yeah, you. You're never going to catch them, but if you can close the gap a little bit, that'd be great. I just don't know how you go about doing that. And that's one thing this staff um, has is, has yet to kind of show because part of it's just time and what they inherited and all that. But um, we're starting to now get into that point where we're going to see more of how they develop uh, players and and uh, and how that goes. But, yeah, that, that gap, I feel, is only going to widen, unfortunately. Yeah, and, I mean, if you just want to kind of narrow it down even more simplistically, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee. If you just took those four teams, uh, they would have more draft picks than the entire Big 12. Yeah, So and I everybody mean, else, for that matter. I mean, most most everybody else, the Pac-12. They'd be one below the ACC, and then, but as we mentioned. With four those, teams. Right, with four teams, and then. You know, the Big Ten obviously is way above that number. But, yeah, I mean, it's pretty insane. They'd have more than the Pac-12, more than the Big 12, and right behind the ACC with just those four teams this year. Well, that is what it is, and that's not changing. That's only going to probably grow. Um, But as far as Baylor goes, uh, and the Big 12 uh, was a big first round with six players selected, uh, fourth uh, amongst the conferences overall. Um, but the best mark, like I said, since 2011, when the conference last underwent its you know major shift in teams um, moving on and then you know welcoming new ones in, and they're about to undergo that once again. So for those that it matters to, uh, the Big 12 would have had the same number with the new version. Uh, well, not this version with Texas, Oklahoma, and the new four, but like the newer, newer version with just the four coming in would have been the same as what they got this year. But every year that'll differ, obviously. Every year that'll be uh, up and down, depending on all six of those schools and how their their classes are coming along. But overall, I thought it was actually a pretty good year. But yeah, if you look at it from like who's still in front of you, that that's just never going to make you happy. But for Baylor, the one pick in Siaki Ika, um, and then there were a bunch of undrafted free agents uh, that came along down the pipeline as well. Connor Galvin, offensive lineman, signs with the Detroit Lions. Uh, Mark Milton, cornerback, signs with the Carolina Panthers. Ben Sims, tight end, signs with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, also had uh, Christian Morgan, safety, signing with the Packers. And those were all... Uh, regular undrafted free agent deal, so they'll get a little bit of money depending on whatever they agreed to initially. It depends on the the player and the team, Uh, but they'll get some type of money and also have a little bit of a more secure spot, but nothing super secure. Like They're not bound for the NFL next year or anything like that at this point, but they're on the team. Like They have a place as of now – Prior to cuts later this summer and all of that, they have a place on the team. Meanwhile, some other players, uh, Gavin Holmes agrees to a minicamp deal with the Eagles, uh, wide receiver, offensive lineman Jacob Gall, 
uh, has actually a couple of opportunities for mini camps from both the Colts and the Falcons, and I have yet to hear on how he's going to work that. I don't know if those are on the same weekend. Obviously, if they are, then he can't do both. But if they're on different weekends, he could, in theory, do both. But I have yet to hear on how that's going to work or what those dates are. Khalil Keith, offensive lineman, signs with the Giants. And then I actually saw where Isaac Power apparently is getting an opportunity with the Broncos um, as a minicamp guy. And so basically there will be a minicamp across the league for all 32 teams that either happens this weekend or it happens the next weekend. That depends on whichever team you're talking about. They, they all have to do it, though, in one of these next two weekends. And basically it's a tryout. That's what it is. Minicamp tryout. You're guaranteed nothing, but you get a you get an opportunity on the you know I guess the weekend to or however they do it to go and work out and try and make the team and impress somebody and maybe get a practice squad spot or something like that eventually. But it's better than nothing, uh, and so cool for guys like Gavin Holmes and Jacob Gall and Khalil Keith and I and I believe now Isaac Power as well to have that opportunity. But uh, anything stick out to you from the list of guys who are all getting uh, an undrafted job or uh, getting a minicamp opportunity. For sure. Let's start with Jacob Gall. Um, so Indianapolis has their rookie minicamp May 7th through 9th, and then Atlanta May 14th through 16th. So, yeah, it looks like he'll be able to do both of those. So that's great for him. Uh, two opportunities, which I don't I don't know that we see that very often. So uh, good for him. I'm very curious about Khalil Keith. Uh, going there with the Giants to see if he can really show some flashes and if he can stand out there um, for them. As far as the undrafted free agents, uh, Ben Sims going to the Vikings, I think that's a great landing spot. Uh, He'll be there with James Lynch. Um, So that'll be fun. I think, you know, he'll be behind TJ Hawkinson there, uh, but I do think it's kind of a perfect landing spot, honestly, uh, for the Vikings. Uh, Mark Milton going to the Panthers. I kind of thought that Baylor's connection with Carolina would be gone after Matt Rule left, but I guess it continues there with Milton. Great speed, as we've seen, but uh, needs to you know improve, I think, if he wants to make the Panthers squad this year. Connor Galvin, good for him. Lions, that's a pretty good situation. Their offensive line is really good. They have a good offensive line coach, so I think he'll be, uh, he'll be able to learn quite a bit. And then Morgan, good for him. We've gotten to see him a lot at Baylor. Was at Baylor, it felt like forever. Uh, so to see him get an opportunity, I, I think will be really cool. And we'll just see if these guys can take advantage of it. Nothing's guaranteed at all uh, with these guys as far as making teams, though. No, um, I mean, other than Ika, and if he right. were to not make the team, that would be a disaster. Um, so, you know, I feel like he has the opportunity to have a pretty good pro career. Um, and just hope he can go and handle his business and go and represent well. But yeah, for these other guys, um, a pretty good haul. I mean, that's what, seven, eight names that are all getting at least a chance. And yeah, I mean, the odds of even half those guys lasting beyond a mini camp or a training camp are not great, but that's the case around the entire league for everybody um, who put guys out in the pros this past weekend, one way or another, uh, through the draft or after the draft. And so we'll see. Maybe, uh, Connor Galvin sticks around Detroit for a while, and maybe Christian Morgan carves out a spot in Green Bay. I mean, I could certainly see Ben Sims lasting with Minnesota for a little while. So uh, we will see. But a little bit of a disappointment just going back like a year ago. You definitely would have expected more than one guy. Ika would have been your first choice. Beyond that, you would have probably thought Connor Galvin could have gotten drafted or Ben Sims could have gotten drafted. But, you know, like you said, it wasn't a great year, and there were a lot of different things that went into that. But uh, it did have an effect ultimately on – uh, where you know the draft fell as well for for Baylor players this season, so uh, that's where we stand. Uh, best of luck and congrats to all those guys for uh, moving on to the next level. I uh, did want to make note. Uh, meanwhile, a player who wasn't drafted last year, he signed a really nice undrafted contract and then didn't make the team. Uh, Abram Smith with the New Orleans Saints. Uh, he'll be playing for an XFL championship after the uh, DC Defenders won their. Uh, game this past weekend he leads the league in rushing and uh, they will be going to the championship game uh, here uh, right around the corner and trying to win a title so good luck to Abram Smith in that regard and maybe that gets him another look at the NFL as well although at running back that's you know that's a tough task because there's just so many guys and this just such a quick you know um career for a lot of running backs these days you know just as far as your youth just has gone in a flash and 
it's on to the next guy who has less tread on the tires. So uh, who knows how that goes, but he's certainly done everything he can possibly do, and he's having some success in the XFL, so he could go win a title, and that'd be awesome for Abram Smith. Yeah, it would be really cool. I think you know the only thing that concerns me about his chances in the NFL was how quickly it felt like he was cut by the Saints, and then we just mm-hmm. didn't hear a word about him potentially getting signed by anyone. He so signed a good deal, too. Like it, wasn't like it was like a couple hundred thousand bucks or something. They spent money on yeah. like You're exactly right. They spent money on him to get him to camp, and then it just it did not work out he didn't play well in the preseason and he was let go pretty quickly so yeah I mean this maybe puts something on film that they didn't see before Um, maybe again it just gives him a shot uh, at making a roster in the NFL we'll see I'm you know I'm holding out hope because he was so good at Baylor Um, but clearly there were things that he needed to work on to become more of a complete back Um, and that's why he didn't make the team you know for the Saints yeah, I mean, there was a competition. There was other guys that were fighting for the same thing, and uh, he just was the odd man out when all was said and done. So that's part of it. That's part of the business, and that's the, the cruel part that uh, ends up happening. So uh, we'll see, but he's playing for at least an XFL championship this weekend, and that's kind of a rundown of the, the draft. But that leads us into, uh, I guess it was Travis or whatever, put out a, a thing about next year's draft already, which I haven't even begun to try and think about that all that much. But... Uh, threw out a list of potential names, uh, Garmin Randolph, Matt Jones, Dominic Richardson, uh, Clark Barrington, and there are others, but you wanted to touch on this. So uh, your thoughts on, I guess, next year and the possibilities there for yeah, the draft? I actually got asked about this in my chat, and then Travis just posted a separate thread on it just to, I guess, create more conversation, which worked out pretty good because a lot of people kind of chimed in and um, – you know, the way that I separated it was kind of I have four guys who I feel like will get drafted, which four would be obviously a very high number um, for Baylor. Uh, and then I have some maybes. Um, but to me, the four that I'm looking at who I, I really think will get drafted are Clark Barrington, TJ Franklin, Gabe Hall, and then Byron Vaughns, the transfer from Utah State. They all kind of fit in to positions that are of need in the uh, NFL as far as pass rushers, defensive linemen, of course, Clark Barrington being a versatile offensive lineman. If he shows he can play center at a high level, that'd be huge for him, uh, I think, as far as making the NFL. Um, and then you have some guys who could leave early. Maybe a Keytron Jackson has a massive year. I, that would take, you know, major projections on my part but could happen I guess Dom Richardson again he could he could play another year at Baylor um, but he if he has a big year that that's another one to keep an eye on and then guys that I feel like are probably more undrafted free agent guys like a Matt Jones um, you know maybe Garmin Randolph but Again, feels more like an undrafted free agent right now at this time based on what we've seen. Uh, Elijah Ellis, you know, does his one year of production, would that be enough to get him drafted? I'm not so sure. And then Drake Dabney, also kind of, you know, how much better is he than Ben Sims? You know, would would he get drafted? Maybe. He's bigger, he's longer, um, but still has some of those same problems that Ben had um, up front as well. So that's kind of how I looked at it. I see four guys on this team getting drafted, uh, but again, that changes throughout the season, I feel like, as guys have big years or if they don't play very well. Yeah, as I mentioned with Connor Galvin, this time a year ago, he's like a first-round mock draft guy, and now he's uh, an undrafted pickup. Uh, Siaki Ika was a first-round guy. He was a late third-round guy. So, And like that's just two Baylor examples. I could probably use plenty of examples around the rest of the country as well of the early mock draft versus the actuality at the end of the, the road. But, um, you know... That's uh, something to go off of and something to at least keep in mind moving and looking at next year's roster. Yeah, and I think people get caught up on those mock drafts because I got a question, you know, did Connor Galvin coming back hurt his draft stock? And to me, it didn't. To me, it just was the reality of, you know, who he was as a player and how he was viewed by the actual NFL, not people who just literally went through the Big 12 and was like, Oh, Connor Galvin, offensive line MVP from the Big 12. He's got to be good. Let's just throw him in to a first round of the mock draft. You know what I mean? Like, that's what happens often. And so, um, yeah, I mean, those things are usually more wrong than they are right. But uh, they do need to show that they can produce talent. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one thing that will be used in recruiting, and that's one thing you hang, like, the banner in the indoor because of all the NFL draft picks you have, and that's something that's always 
going to be, you know, a pull for certain guys. I mean, everybody in recruiting now has their own thing. Maybe the first thing they ask about is NIL. Maybe the first thing they ask about is degree possibilities. The first thing they ask about is what are the living situations like or whatever. But I think in particular when you're not in the biggest conference or the biggest two and you're not going to be and that that gap is only going to grow wider and when you're not a big, huge NIL money shaker, um, you're going to have to, like, I mean, I know faith over football and family over football and person over player, like, that's their pull, but there's going to have to be some success pull elsewhere. And I think, you know, showing that you can develop guys and put them into the league on a regular basis is going to be important for this program and this staff to be able to show that they can do that on a semi-regular basis. I don't think anybody's expecting, you know, five guys a year to go because that's just not really kind of how they're built at the moment, but... Um, you don't want to go two, three years and have a couple guys drafted over that time period. You right, know? and I mean, you always compare yourself to other schools in the Big 12, and the thing of it is, is Texas Tech had a guy go top seven, and that matters, you know, with Tyree Wilson. You know, I know Bijan. Thanks, Texas. Matt Wills. Yeah, right, right, because he transferred with Matt Wills, and I know Joey McGuire's probably – you know, they're going to take credit for that, as they should. I mean, he still went to Texas Tech. It's just like Baylor taking credit for Jalen Petrie. And well, I, I got to, and I said that jokingly, and only so many people will get that, but it's because after the draft last year, I right. got a DM from somebody saying, thank you, Matt Rule. And yeah. um, so I'm just saying it's, thank you, yeah. Matt Wells, because that's how Tyree Wilson eventually got there. But I know that Joey and them deserve some credit, just like mm-hmm. I know Dave Aran and them deserve some credit, but just having a little fun and poking back. That's for all. sure. And then TCU, of course, with Quentin johnson going in the first round as well so uh and felix and udike uzama from uh, kansas state so yeah you're, you're right there was success in the first round but baylor game compared to those it's a big deal and baylor when was baylor's last first round pick um it would have been Corey, i guess Corey, Corey was the last first round uh, just off the top of my head, I haven't yeah. done any research into it, but that's the one that comes to mind. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody after that. I don't think so. Yeah, so, I mean, it's been a while. And so you're just kind of playing catch up. And on where'd that. he go? The Cleveland freaking Browns yeah, again. I know. It's sad. Sad times. But hopefully this regime in Cleveland will be a. A little better. We'll I just see. don't. I, I I just don't know the attraction there is to each other. But to where like f- like again, I listed off like five of the names that have been like their biggest draft picks over like the last twenty five years, and they all have played in Cleveland or were drafted by Cleveland. It's right. bizarre. But um, anyways, uh, there was the draft. Siaki Ika going late uh, third round to the Cleveland Browns. Hopefully, he has a long and prolific career there and makes tons of money and has lots of accolades along the way. Uh, but for these other players that were also uh, extended invites or undrafted free agent deals, uh, best of luck to them as well. Uh, more than a handful will get an opportunity here in many camps over the next couple of weeks uh, or you know, over the course of the, the remainder of the offseason. Guys like Ika will have the buildup to their rookie season. So I hope that works out well for them. Uh, and we'll see on next year. But, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of names. It's just there's a lot of names that uh, they need to prove something. Um, your Garmin Randolphs and your Gabe Halls and your, I mean, whoever you want to link in there without even thinking about the guys who could potentially go early. But those are kind of the next wave up as those types of names and players. And, and you know, Clark Barrington now as well and, and Jake Roberts and whoever else you want to throw in there. Let's see what they can do and what they can add. Um, a big year would go a long way. Uh, meanwhile, uh, I guess a couple of recruiting notes, uh, a new commitment. It seems like, I mean, eventually there's going to be a week where there's not somebody new added to the roster, right? Because it seems like it's been about 20 weeks in a row that there's somebody coming or going on this roster. And I'm not complaining. It's just like it's every week that there's a new addition. It's like you just think that at some point the faucet's going to turn off all the way and there's going to be just no movement for a while. But uh, right before the portal closes, and maybe that's why it will now kind of cease as the portal has closed, but before it did, Trevin Maye, uh, Oregon defensive lineman, announced uh, that he is heading to Baylor. Um, obviously had at least some crossing a pass with Matthew Pallage last year in Eugene, Oregon, um, but we got to talk to him on the radio, and he seems like a good young man and uh, kind of explained some of the process and how he eventually winded, wound up in Waco, but your thoughts on the latest pickup and what was probably the last pickup for 
the foreseeable few, like for a little while because of the portal being closed, or is that how it's going to work? Or just kind of explain it for the folks out there. But first, uh, your thoughts on what this actually means for this football roster. Right. So let's start with Maya first. And he visited um, for the green and gold game, took his official visit and all that, got to see campus. And I think he came with his girlfriend um, on his visit and <clears throat> by all accounts really enjoyed it. I think things had been trending in Baylor's direction for a while, uh, a relationship with Matthew Pallage, but also a fit with uh, Baylor's scheme and kind of what they're asking him to do uh, up front. He's going to have to be versatile. They're going to play him some at nose tackle. They're going to play him some uh, all across the defensive line, whether that's at end or nose tackle. Uh, I do think initially, or I did think initially, he would be Gabe Hall's primary backup, uh, but I also think he'll be the nose tackle primary backup behind Jarrell Boykins, uh, who obviously got injured in the spring game. So he might end up being a starter uh, at the beginning of the season. We'll see. But again, versatile defense lineman. It's exactly what they needed. He's about 6'5", 290, 295 pounds. Uh, doesn't have a ton of production from Oregon, but a big part of it is because he made the transition from edge to the interior of the defensive line. Um, so he was initially like 260 pounds, I think, a year ago, and now he's all the way up to 290. Uh, so they put on a lot of weight or he put on a lot of weight very quickly uh, to kind of transition himself into a different role. And so I think Baylor's actually going to get the best version of him these next two years because he does have two more years of eligibility remaining. Uh, but his time at Oregon had you know 12 tackles, two for loss, and one sack in 2022. Uh, had a better year in 2021 with 21 tackles, four for loss, and one and a half sacks. So again, not crazy production, uh, but the versatility, the natural fit, the upside, what he could be, uh, was a huge reason why uh, Baylor went out and added him. Now, as far as what's next in the portal, there's actually a big visitor coming this weekend um, from Utah State. We've mentioned him, the cornerback of Johnny Carter. Uh, he's a guy who Baylor's been recruiting really hard since he entered the portal, but it's taken some time for him to get on his visit to Waco. He'll also visit Indiana this week uh, as well. So something to keep an eye on. He's a guy who's got one year of eligibility, would come in, start at cornerback right away, and provide more depth. So again, we could hear something next week, Craig. We might have uh, another commit to talk about, potentially, if he does end up choosing Baylor. I mean, there has to come a point when there's not somebody, right? I mean, eventually right. their roster will settle in because this is, what, 10-plus exits, 10-plus entrances, mm -hmm. and it's still going on. And I'm not complaining. I just it, – it just literally feels like every single week for, like, 15 weeks in a row we walked in here and there's some new player to talk about or some guy who's leaving or just some change to the roster. Right. It's yet, just kind of wild. And yet some people still complain that Baylor doesn't use the transfer portal, which is I mean, I don't know baffling. how you could say that this year. I mean, that's that's honestly just I, like what what are you looking at on your screen if you think they're not using it this year? I, I just I would love to understand how you even come to that conclusion given that there's been 10 plus guys going both directions. It's getting I, greedy. It's that's all it is. It's getting just, greedy and thinking. That? Yeah, it's thinking the portal fixes all your reality problems. is not real. I, yeah. I mean, what? Yeah, I, I, I don't again, get it. I'm with you, and I've had to answer tons of questions on why aren't they using the portal? Why are there only three spots? Why are there this? Why are there that? And just simply, there's only put, three spots because otherwise there'd be thirteen because they'd have ten spots right. that weren't filled by transfers they brought in. But apparently, they're not doing anything. I'm sorry. That's just that's a silly. Uh, uh, a silly thing to gather from all of the activity that's all right. like that's like the silliest thing you could gather and is I, that and they I haven't been active. The thing that people need to take away from this offseason is that the players at Baylor love Baylor. And that's simply the biggest reason why, you know, there might not be as much attrition as some people want. The players at Baylor love Baylor. And as far as Baylor goes, it's a culture thing too. You want to have a good culture, so you want guys who love your program. You don't want to just take rentals uh, at every position and then guys who don't truly love Baylor. You know what I mean? So you mix and match with transfers. You bring in guys who fit your program, your culture, while also building the guys in the room and building up the entire roster and guys who love Baylor and are going to work hard uh, to make the team better. So, yeah, Baylor's done a great job in the portal. Uh, adding Maya was a great addition here. He fits what they need. And there might be uh, one more addition as well. Like I mentioned, it looks like defensive back cornerback is the area they're going to focus on for that one. And then I believe that'll close up. 
uh, their roster. I think they'll fill the remaining roster spots. You might see a walk-on get put on scholarship or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, in general, I think that's all the work Baylor's really going to do in the portal. And I know that someone's going to have this question, but the portal closed on Sunday. Um, that just means that guys who are at current schools, uh, that's their deadline to enter the portal. Right, So you have to be in the portal by Sunday, and that's if you're a true transfer. Grad transfers have different rules. But a true transfer, you had to be in by Sunday, but that does not necessarily mean you have to be committed to a school by Sunday. Guys are going to make decisions through the summer, um, so just keep an eye on that. But most guys will want to make that decision by the time uh, the football team reports, which is in early June. So just kind of keep an eye on this next month for other schools because, again, I I don't think Baylor's going to be heavily focused on the portal this month. All right, so there you have the latest. uh, Trevin Maye, welcome to the program, and uh, we will look forward to covering him starting – here in the next few months, I guess, because it is going to be quiet on that front uh, until they get back to practicing, which obviously they just closed up, so that'll be you know later on this summer. But uh, I'm sure we'll talk and hear more about him along the way, and uh, looks like it could be a pretty big addition along with the various others uh, on paper. Um, but yeah, uh, it's been very active. I, I don't know how it's it's been anything other than that, uh, given the amount of you know, uh, in and out we've seen with this roster and it's still ongoing. And so we'll wait for that to settle down and then have to do like a three hour special documenting all of the changes that have taken place and, uh, going in depth on those, but, but in all seriousness, a lot going on with football and, uh, good to see that, uh, you know, some dreams are, are being lived out now, uh, professionally. Hopefully those last for a long while. Like I said, a little while ago, meanwhile, uh, we're up against it. We got a lot of questions. I don't want to go well over here. So congrats to A&T on winning another national championship over the weekend. Uh, that was a big deal. Uh, as far as the rest of the spring sports go, I mean, we don't normally dive in here and I don't, I mean, I try to cover some of this in the, the good, bad, ugly every week. So I don't have a whole lot to say here really, but you got, uh, tennis going to the postseason, um, both men's and women's. We've got golf heading into the postseason, and some of them are in postseason, but like going from conference postseason to regular postseason, and just a lot of that ongoing right now. Uh, softball, baseball, uh, both limping out of the weekend, really. Softball is obviously going to be in the postseason. Baseball has no shot. Um, I mean, they, it's being yeah. real about it. Uh, softball losing a ranked uh, or an unranked series for the first time all year to Iowa State uh, that wasn't so hot but you know just can you get you're gonna get some weekends that are great some weekends that are a little rougher but anything stand out to you from the rest of the sports that you feel like touching on uh, yeah, before we get to the mailbag here I know softball's dealing with injuries and so you're kind of seeing them they're not unraveling but they're just not keeping up pace with the top of the big 12 and once again the big 12 in softball, very loaded at the top. And so, you know, I, I still think the softball team has had a good year, and I still think they can finish relatively strong. But my expectations, obviously, have come down significantly on their postseason outlook, just kind of how far they can go. Um, baseball, yeah. Um, you know, I think we knew this year was going to be rough, um, but still not making the Big 12 tournament would be kind of, I mean, I know it's year one, but still, that would not be a great a great start, I, I don't think, uh, to the Mitch Thompson era. But, again, there's still a chance. They're kind of trying to keep pace with Kansas to make uh, the Big 12 tournament. Outside of that, Acro winning eight straight national championships, that's phenomenal. Um, they continue to dominate the sport. This year, it felt like it was even easier than in past years. It just felt like every week was a domination. So, yeah, that's pretty much uh, the main things that I have uh, on the spring sports. It has not been great. All right, let's get into the mailbag here. Scotty B., how much of an adjustment do you think coaches and players will have to make with the new clock rules for college football when compared to the past? Right, so, I mean, if people aren't familiar, a couple of the rules, no consecutive timeouts, clock runs after first downs except inside two minutes and a half, uh, no untimed down at the end of the first quarter and third quarter. So it's going to speed the game up a little bit. I actually think that kind of helps Baylor. You know, Baylor likes to run the football, play at a certain pace. So, um, I, you know, who knows? It could help them. I, again, I, I think it's kind of a moot point. I think it's going to impact most teams the same kind of all around. Yeah, I don't think it's anything super 
uh, oh, like it doesn't create an overhaul of the way you've always been doing things. I think, like many have said and said beforehand, it's the commercials that waste more time than anything, right. more than the game itself. So I don't, I don't think the game will be, you know, all that different. Uh, although I do look forward to being able to ask Dave Aranda about that probably in July at Media Days, get his thoughts on some of the rules changes. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there will be as much of an adjustment as maybe you you think initially. Uh, anyways, I'll say the ceiling for Baylor women's tennis is round of 32 due to the two-seed A&M if Baylor beats SMU again. Now the men's ceiling should be Sweet 16, could be Sweet 16 if they beat nine-seed South Carolina because South Carolina lost five of the last nine matches, but it does require a rematch win against Florida State. We will see what happens to both. Yeah, I think the women's team is not getting past Texas A&M. That, that's not going to happen. I just hope they beat SMU uh, in the first round, to be honest. And then as far as the men go, um, I guess he mentioned South Carolina in the second round, who's the nine seed. Baylor's been really tested this year, this men's tennis team. So they're really not going to see any teams until they get to the Sweet 16 as far as the level of competition. They, they've seen all these teams. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they can make it to the Sweet 16. Then they would probably lose there because uh, then you'd probably have to play Texas, who uh, Baylor hasn't had a lot of success against this year. They're the one seed. So, yeah, I, I think Sweet 16 is probably the ceiling for them. They're basically like softball. They're pretty good. Um, their record doesn't necessarily show how good they are because they've beaten a lot of or they played a lot of good teams. And just so happens there's like elite teams in the conference like TCU and Texas. Um, whereas in softball, it's like Oklahoma and Oklahoma State and then I guess Texas to a lesser extent. So, yeah, or close extent. So, yeah, it's kind of that's kind of the way that I view it. They're they're okay. They're good. They could win a couple matches, but they're not going to go win a title um, if we're just being real about it. But, uh, you know, it, a lot of it depends on matchups. So we'll see how those fall. Upset maybe clears the way and gets you a step further than you thought. Um, we'll, we'll see. But they got to take care of their business and let the rest fall how it may. Uh, Big Cheese 83, assuming you believe Keytron and Monterey will be Baylor's one and two receivers statistically, who will be three? And will it even be a wide receiver? Yeah, I think statistically that's an interesting question. Last year it was Monterey, Gavin Holmes, Josh Cameron, Hal Presley before you got to a tight end. Um, so I do think the third leading receiver will will be a receiver. Um, man, that's a good question. I you know I think Jordan Neighbors is going to probably have the most opportunities to have big games, but he might kind of do some of his damage running the football. Um, so as far as just catching. It's either him or Armani. Uh, I'll go with Neighbors for now, though. I, I just think he's so explosive. I think his catches uh, will be for big plays. He just might not have, you know, the total amount of catches as a guy like Armani might. Uh, I'll go Hal Presley uh, as the number three guy. Although I think, you know, a Drake Dabney could potentially be that. Um, I mean, somebody's going to have to fill the role of Ben Sims. And uh, I know that Jake Roberts could maybe be that guy too. I don't think it's impossible that it could be a tight end, but I'll go Hal Presley. He had a pretty good year. I think he's going to get in the end zone a little bit for them. So I'll roll with him. But I think there's like three or four guys, Josh Cameron, yeah, Jake Roberts, uh, Drake Dabney, it's Hal Presley. You, you could really, be any of yeah, those guys. You really got to predict explosive plays to a certain extent, but you're right. Hal's going to get a lot of chances. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he will for sure. He's in that group as well. He He's probably ahead of Armani, actually. But him and Neighbors, I, I'm pretty excited for Jordan Neighbors this year. I, I think he could have a huge impact. But again, he's got to stay healthy just like Monterey does. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a big key right there. So big cheese, yeah, any number of guys, but those are those are – a little slightly less than a handful that seemed to make a lot of sense. And, and like I said, I'll go with, go with Hal there. Uh, Dak, J.D., good to have options, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Dak, J.D., 90, is the transfer portal affected how many players we take out of high school? And if not yet, do you expect it to in the future? Uh, I mean, it does impact that because Baylor can't, you know, they got to take transfers, so you're kind of limiting how many spots you have with high school prospects. So, yeah, I mean, you could – use those transfer portal spots on high school recruits, but Baylor's choosing not to because they want to supplement young talent with more veteran and experienced guys from the portal. I think that's how you have to do it. So, yeah, I mean, it is going to affect that, but honestly, in a good way. 
I mean, if you look at Baylor's recruiting classes, I mean, most more times than not, there's like five or six guys who really don't make much of an impact during their time at Baylor, and you would have rather used those spots on transfers. So it's just kind of the reality of the situation. Baylor has to take transfers, in my opinion, in order to compete. Now, how many, that's the bigger question, because right now they're taking 13 because the roster wasn't very good last year, and they struggled to compete at times last year um, with the best teams, you know, in the conference. But going forward, you'd like that number to be more like, you know, five or six, and then the rest of your roster is already really good. Bears two twenty four. Excuse me, Baylor Bear eighty eight. Before the spring game, I bought a green number two jersey from the twenty eleven era at the surplus sale. I'm sure in my heart this was the very one worn by T-Dub when he caught the game when he passed from RG3. Prove me wrong. Note your answer really doesn't matter as I'm telling everyone this is it, and I'm sticking to my story. Laugh out loud. That's great. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd stick to that as well so until somebody can prove you wrong, I suppose. But I'm trying to think. Were they wearing green jerseys that day? That'd be the first tell. Right. Um, and I don't even recall off the top of my head. Um, but I wasn't around back then. Do you no, remember? I, I I don't remember which jersey. I think, I think they were wearing green. I think yeah, they were too in the back of the end zone there. That's really cool. I yeah, mean, I mean, if, that is cool. That's the Terrence Williams jersey, especially. That's, and if that's it's super not, cool. stick to the story. You're right. Yeah, maybe it's actually from a few years later. It's like a Tayon Sales jersey, which is not nearly as cool. No disrespect to Tayon Sales. He's a yeah. fine bear. But yeah, no, I, I would stick with the. It was Terrence Williams as well. And yes, that's the one that he caught the RG3 pass in. Uh, yeah, let, it, let them prove you wrong. <laughs> but it uh, sounds like you got a good. Little uh, piece of memorabilia there, Baylor Bear 88. We do appreciate you. Bears 224, what does Dave Aranda not naming a starter last week say about the QB competition from your understanding? Happy he didn't and hope he doesn't until fall. I mean, again, I I think... It just never made any sense to me. Um, I mean, I said this last week to be just blunt about it. uh, I was hoping that he wasn't going to. Mm -hmm. It just didn't make any sense to put that type of pressure on... Uh, Blake or Sawyer, I mean, to not that either one, like Sawyer wasn't transferring anywhere if he didn't get the job. It was really Blake that you're like, okay, does he quit football? Does he go play baseball? Does he transfer somewhere and play football? Does he go down a level? I mean, like, what does he do? But he's got options. People act like he didn't have options almost. And it's like, no, he has every option in the world other than I'm going to go start at Alabama. Uh, so I just, I didn't, so none of those things are on the table if you don't name a starter, really. And and so that's why it just made overwhelming sense to not name somebody unless you were absolutely positively convinced that it was like this guy, has to be this guy. And there was just no indication that we saw, at least, that someone had separated themselves in such a way. Granted, we don't see everything behind the scenes, but even then, just from what you could tell, it didn't seem like even then there was like such a separation that it was like clearly this is Blake Shapin's team just already. So, just going on what we had to see and what we had to hear, it just seemed a little bit puzzling to go forward and make a decision when you really weren't in a position to have to. And so, I'm, I'm, I don't really feel one way or the other, but I guess if I have to feel a certain way, then I feel good that they haven't named a starter yet. Yeah, I mean, and when we talked about this, I said the exact same thing. I, I didn't want them to name a starter going into the fall, you know, right now, because I feel like everything that we've heard, so Blake Shapin was better throughout the spring, but everything we also heard was that Sora Robertson's best football is ahead of him. And that once he understands the scheme, you know, there's a ceiling there uh, that I don't think Blake Shapin really can get to um, compared to Sawyer. But the question was, how long does it take for Sawyer? So my thing is, why wouldn't you wait till the fall so that you can see how far Sawyer has advanced and how much, you know, clarity he has on the offense? I just think uh, this didn't make sense to me. Uh, But I will also say, I don't think the fact that he hasn't named a quarterback the week after the spring game means that he won't. I mean, he very well could do it tomorrow. He could do it this week. Like, you never know. But I do think that the fact that there is a pause probably is telling that maybe they did have a conversation and maybe decided either A, it wasn't the time, B, they want to wait till the fall, or C, just let's do it this week in the future. I I don't know. Yeah, I, I... Timing wise, it just would be weird to like tomorrow on a random Wednesday in May, just be like, here's our starting quarterback. Yeah. It seemed like if you're going to do it, you do it when everybody was kind of in football mode. And I think everybody's kind of not exiting that, but you know, now the draft's over with. And now it's like really the off season mm-hmm. where now the portal's closing up. And 
there's going to be less transfer activity. So, um, yeah, I just feel like you would strike while the iron's hot interest-wise, but who knows uh, and what the way they're he thinking. Said it. The way yeah. he said it was like, we're going to do this basically, it felt like tomorrow right. is what it yeah. felt like, and that obviously did not happen, which, again, I think it's a good thing. I think we agree on that. Yeah. Uh, WTT78, do you think last year Aranda wanted to be more aggressive in the secondary and Roberts disagreed with him, or do you think we just weren't good enough last year to play close to the line of scrimmage? Uh, let's just answer this first. Yeah, so I don't think they were good enough to do it um, at cornerback and safety. I don't think they were good enough to play press coverage. And I, I don't think this was an Aranda versus Roberts decision entirely. I will say that it did feel like there were times they probably should have and they kept running that zone and it, it just did not work. Um, so maybe there was some disagreement, but I don't think that it was uh, intensely disagreed upon because Matthew Pallage coming in is really the main reason that they're moving completely back to press coverage, more uh, more aggressive style in the secondary, it seems. Yeah, it seemed to me like they were trying to do everything to not have that whole portion of the defense cave in on itself. Right. And so they were trying to protect it, but it was like a house of cards that one thing goes wrong and it all comes crumbling down. And they couldn't create any pressure. Right. So you added all that together, it just was a recipe for disaster. Who starts in the secondary this year and how do you think this aggressive style Pallage brings in the secondary will work out so I I mean I guess going off the spring game I I think Chateau Reed and Tevin Williams were probably the best cornerbacks in the game Uh, but I do think it will be a transfer and then Tevin Williams I think is who I'm going to go with starting at cornerback Chateau and Isaiah Dunson are kind of right there as far as safety goes I think Devin Lemire and AJ McCarty will be starters and then Although AJ is still battling with Bryson Jackson, I think they're going to be kind of utilized in different packages. So I expect them to rotate, kind of be co-starters next year. But then Devin Lemire, and I'm going to go with Devin Bobby. I think those are your two starters at the uh, the safety positions uh, for Baylor. Let's see. Um, who's uh, He already asked that. Okay, Bear for Cleats. I'm always interested in how the football recruiting classes perform as a whole. This year, the 21 class will head into year three in the program. Do you think this is a make-or-break year for this group? Um, And just looking at it, you got Tevin Williams, Tate Williams, uh, Jordan Jenkins, Jackie Marshall, Cameron Bonner, uh, Elijah Bean. A lot of these guys are gone. Um, Monterey. Monterey Baldwin. Cooper Lands, uh, Josh Cameron, and that's yeah. Tyrone Brown. That's pretty much the group there. Uh, there's a lot. There's like you know, Hal Presley transferred in, but there's you know a handful of guys that are gone from that class as well. Is it make or break? Yeah, I mean it kind of is, right? Because we're gonna see a lot of these guys kind of have their first opportunity to be starters. You know, Tevin Williams is gonna play more football this year than he has in the past. Um, Tate Williams as well. We haven't seen him really play much at all. He's probably gonna be a starter at guard. Um, the only guys that really have played a lot up to this point, Devin Lemire was a full-time starter last year. Monterey Baldwin, a full-time starter last year as well. Um, so those two guys are kind of, you. I think, not necessarily know what you're getting, but we've gotten to see them at least play and, and perform uh, at Baylor. But, yeah, I mean, Cooper Lands, what's he going to look like along the defensive line? It's getting close to him for, you know, what are we going to see from you uh, type moment. Jackie Marshall moving to defensive line finally. Um, so we'll see how he looks. I, You know, I'll honestly say there's a lot of guys in this class that I'm still like, I don't think it's make or break time, but it is finally time where it's like, okay, you need to get on the field. I guess that's probably the, yeah. the bigger thing. I, I'm not are you taking here. up a scholarship at this point, or are you contributing to the For sure. actual play on the field? And yeah. on the offensive line in this class, if you take away Tate Williams, you know Connor Heffernan, Ryan Lingyell, I, I don't think either of them are in the too deep uh, at the moment. So... Some to look at there. Tyrone Brown, he was playing third string linebacker in the spring game. Jordan Jenkins is like the fifth string running back. I haven't heard anything point. about him in a long time. He was banged up and then played in the spring game very limited. Um, so, yeah, I, again, I, I do think it's time for them to take a step, but I don't think that if Jackie Marshall isn't an all Big 12 player this year, then he's a bust. That's, you know, it, I think. Does that make sense? Like, he's yeah, they don't the need point. to go win Heisman trophies, right. but they need to be able to play and contribute and make yes. some plays. Yeah. yeah, they they need players to grow up and mature, and and I don't mean grow up like they've been bad, but like the spotlight's on you now. Like mm-hmm. you've been here for a couple years. Like 
time to go, time to time to perform and time to go do your thing and, you know, excel. And, and hopefully that's what a lot of these guys do. But yeah, we're getting to that point now where it's like kind of, you know what, or get off the pot uh, as far as, uh, okay, you got a couple years left now. It's time to time to go. Uh, Okie Bear fan, what football players do you predict having the best chance to make a huge jump between now and first game utilizing the summer and fall to improve based off of their spring progression and areas that can greatly improve through self-driven practice and study? Yeah, I mean, I think Key, I mean, I think Keytron Jackson, based on what I heard this spring and what he accomplished, I think he's going to continue to be a big riser. And a lot of Baylor fans are seeing there being very negative about his spring game performance or lack thereof. Um, and I just so if you're going to put that as like his baseline, what you're expecting from him at Baylor this year, what we saw in the spring game, uh, then I think you're going to be very impressed by what you see from him in the fall. Um, you know, I, I think a guy like Carmelo Jones showed flashes in the spring game, had a really good spring. So I could see him getting better and better as a young guy and really taking that step forward uh, for this team. Uh, you know, other guys, Trey Wilson, true freshman, played really well in the spring game. Jackie Marshall didn't play in the spring game, but I think he's going to be a huge factor uh, on the defensive line as well. So I guess those are a few of the names that I'm definitely keeping an eye on. Yeah, I mean those are those are definitely some names. I think there's a lot of guys that uh, can definitely improve on their own. Um, but that's a team and a position group thing as well as getting out there without the coach's guidance. Although a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like hey, you know, I'm sure there's a little bit of direction given unofficially. But uh, hopefully you have the right leaders in place. I mean that's the big thing. Who are the leaders and who will you know, like you said. Um, be self-driven to go and improve. And I don't think there were maybe a ton of those guys last year just based on kind of the results we saw. So hopefully that's a little bit different here. And it's hard to really gather that, too, from our standpoint. But maybe that's something that you know starts to get kind of uh, talked about over these next few weeks and we get word of and can say, like, hey, you know, Tevin Williams is leading the corners and blah, 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 blah. But, uh, yeah, it remains to be seen. I'm sure there's a lot of guys, though, that, that will improve uh, on their own. Uh, thank you. Uh, Panther City Bear, what is Baylor's biggest weakness after the spring game on each side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, I know people are going to point to the spring game and then just say that this is a position that they're fine at, but I, I still think it's secondary cornerback. I mean, there's a reason they're still looking at cornerback transfers, and it's not because they were dominant all spring. I mean, they had a good spring game. There's still areas to improve. I do have concerns at linebacker as well. So I'd say cornerback, linebacker are my two biggest concerns right now on the defensive side. Offensively, you know, I'm going to be honest here. I mean, it's quarterback. I mean, if they get great play from the quarterback position, then they're going to be really, really good. They'll be a 10-plus win team this year if they get great play at the quarterback spot. Um, so I don't know that I could go with any other position outside of that because they need that position to play really well. You really think they can win 10, win, win 10 games the way they're set up right now? I, I'm saying it if they get great quarterback play, which okay. meaning, I mean, honestly, if you have a top three quarterback in the Big 12, it's really hard not to find yourself in the Big 12 championship game. At least it has yeah. been in the past. Yeah, I know. It's just like even if they score a lot of points, it's like who are they stopping, though? I mean, you, you just said yourself, like, the concern's the back seven. <laughs> you know, and the D-line's not even that, that squared away compared to you know, what we kind of thought last year. We know how that went. So there's there's a lot of questions. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, it's a year where you expect them to rebound and, and have a better year. Um, but they will need Blake Shapin to play well. Um, that is for sure an area that you look at. And I think that, yeah, on offense, that probably is your biggest weakness. Um, uh, defensively, I think you can look all over the place. But uh, I still, yeah, wonder about that secondary just as a whole. And I guess the corners in particular. Is like, can they hold up? Because, like, you talk about going man-to-man. It's like, that doesn't make me feel better. It makes me feel worse about what they might do next year. Because you're saying, basically, like, hey, we're not going to bail you out all year long. Which yeah. I kind of love because... Hey, if you're going to give up points, give up points. Don't like try to Mm-mm. fool mm-hmm. us and, you know, um and all that, but yeah, I mean, let these guys get exposed and and at least let everybody else play free cuz it just they're so disjointed last year the way they were masking other things too and much just, thinking. Yeah. yeah way so, too much thinking. Uh yeah, I'd say quarterback and uh just overall play there and then secondary cornerback would still be my main focus as well. But, yeah, you could look at linebacker and have an issue there. You can look at the D-line and still have some questions there as well, even with uh, Trevin Maye and Byron Vaughn's being ads here 
Uh, recently, we know that the secondary might get addressed again with, um, you know, potentially a portal addition here in the future. So we'll see. Uh, when the dust settles, when fall rolls around, of what the roster actually looks like. But on paper, um, yeah, those those are kind of consistently the, the main issues, it appears, and, and will remain that way for the time being. So thank you, Panther City Bear, for those questions. Uh, I guess he also added on, Aranda previously said he would name a starting quarterback after spring game. He obviously hasn't said anything. What is your take on his silence? I get the sense that Shapin is the favorite, and we already talked about that. And, yeah, I would say that I think he's the favorite as well. I think he's the favorite if they announce it right now. I do think that if they wait, then, you know, it kind of signifies that Shapin hasn't done enough to, you know, get the job yet. Um, So uh, it could open the door up a little bit. But at this current moment, yeah, I would be – like, if they announced it today and it was anyone other than Blake Shapin, I would be pretty shocked. Yeah, I think, too, and we got to go here, but, um, you know, the risk you run as well is if you you don't you don't need to name Sawyer if it's Sawyer right now. But even going into next year, if it's him at the beginning of the year, what happens if he doesn't work out? And then you are like, hey, Blake, and then Blake's there, and then it turns into a whole other situation. Like, eventually he's got to go play in the fire, like everybody does, right? But... Um, that's why I think you would start off with Blake, and then if he doesn't perform well enough, then you make the logical move. If he does, then awesome, and mm-hmm. Sawyer can wait like he shouldn't be able to wait. But, yeah, if you start off with Sawyer and then he flails, and then it's like, well, here's Blake, and then you're like, this is the only op-. You know what right. I'm saying? So that'll be interesting to see how they handle all of that. But, yeah, as of right now, no announcement. If they did make one, I do think it would be Blake Shape, and we all do. And we will see how that goes. But, again, no real rush or need to do that at the moment. So a lot of questions this week. Uh, thank you, Scotty and Cheese and Dak and 88 and 224 and WTT 78 and Bear for Cleats and Okie Bear and Panther City Bear. We appreciate all of you for posting your questions in the mailbag this week. And that will about do it for us. Before we go, Grace, is there anything you'd like to pass along here? No, nothing this week. Just continue to stay locked in on the premium side of things. All kinds of really good content there. And, of course, uh, 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6, with Craig, Smokey, and Paul. Be sure to check that out at 3 today. Yes, uh, we'd love that if you you would tune in with us and check us out if you haven't already. And if you have before, we do appreciate that. And if you do, we just ask that you hit like and subscribe. it's all we ask, and uh, we do appreciate that as well, whether on this channel, on 365 Sports, so uh, whatever offerings we do give you, if you could hit like and subscribe, we would uh, definitely uh, have many thanks for you. So uh, appreciate you listening, and uh, thanks to Garrett uh, Ross, and thanks to Jack McKenzie behind the scenes as well, and thanks to Grace and Grunhafer, thanks to you. Uh, we will talk to you next week. This has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.